Um, today, I'm going to continue my sermon series through Joshua. Uh, it's, the series has been called Lessons from Joshua. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're, we followed the Israelites into the promised land. They're actually now in the land of Canaan. And um, they're about to do their first battle. Right? They're actually, this is the first, like, real uh, official battle that the Israelites would have to face uh, going into the promised land. But before God has them take over the promised land, he has them go through a checklist of things that they need to do, uh, things that they need to be reaffirmed in uh, as they go into the promised land. And the first thing that they went, uh, had, God had them do was circumcision. Uh, circumcision was so that the new generation, for 40 years they've been wandering through the wilderness, and so that the new generation of people, the young people that grew up in the wilderness, would know about God's uh, promise, that they're people of God's promise, that they are people that uh, God has chosen and that they are God's people and God is their, uh, that he is their God. Um, so they, God has them circumcised. You know, it's a sign of their uh, promise and their chosen, being chosen by God. And next, they celebrate Passover. And uh, Passover is the first time in 39 years. For the 40 years that they've wandered, in the wilderness, they only celebrated Passover the first time, the first anniversary. And for 39 years, they didn't celebrate Passover. So they, as they celebrate Passover, um, they, they know where they've come from. You know, they know how God saved them, how God brought them out of slavery, uh, out of Egypt, and into uh, this land that they're supposed to conquer and take for, their, for themselves, right? And so um, this, it, was a, it was a reaffirming of God's, like, provision, God's grace, you know, God's power, you know, to show them that God is an amazing God. And then uh, last week we talked about them eating of the land of Canaan. Uh, and, and the manna stopped. The manna was flowing for 40 years. Coming out every morning, they go outside the camp before the sun comes up. And there's literally heaven food that they can eat everywhere. They just have to collect it and, you know, make bread with it or make a cake or make doodles. I don't know what they did. But... They, they made all different, they didn't just eat it, they, you know, they did whatever they had to do to survive. For 40 years, they ate its manna, but as they come into this land of Canaan, they eat from the produce of the ground, right? So they, you know, eat fruits and vegetables and all these different things for the first time in 40 years. Some of these young kids, like, they're not even young kids. 40-year-olds, they never tasted vegetables, right? <laughs> I know some grown adults that are like that, right? But, like, these are like... 40-year-old men and women that have never had, like, fruit or vegetable or anything like that. And so uh, they eat from the produce of the land, and then the manna stops. God's, like, heavenly provision stops. And it was to show them that they are a people of God's promise and that God's, like, they've been wandering the wilderness for 40 years. That wasn't God's best for them, right? God didn't free them so that they can wander into the wilderness for 40 years. God freed them so that they can receive their promise. And this was the first, like a little bit of a sign of the promise that God had for them. And this is the first chance that they've had to eat or receive or take of the promise, the promised land. Um, and it, it comes in the form of this food, right? It's just simple food, like the produce of the land. But it really was for 40 years, it was God, um, just God's goodness over them. But it wasn't God's best for them, right? So God's showing them that he has his best in mind. Now today... In chapter 5, Joshua has this weird encounter with this mysterious figure, right? And we read about it, Mina read about it earlier. Um, and it says that when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted, he lifted up 
his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. Now, first, Joshua is by Jericho, right? The camp is in Gigal, which is about like, it's like the distance is about six kilometers. I looked at the map and the legend. It wasn't that accurate, but it's not like, like it's not a walk away, right? It's like at least about like five, six kilometers that he had to walk uh, into the, ed- the edges of Jericho that he's standing here. He's most likely checking out the land. He's most likely checking out these huge walls that they needed to, to, to defeat. Um, and he's probably, you know, the historian said that Jericho, the walls of Jericho were at least 13 feet tall. And uh, they there had some towers that were about 28 feet tall. And it was like fortified. It was like, made, it's not made out of wood. It's not made out of like, you know, like, you know, like the three little pigs, like straw and wood. It was made out of stone, right? It was like, it was like more than brick. There was like the, the huge stones that they had back then. They created this huge wall around the city to fortify themselves from attackers. And so Joshua is probably looking at this wall, trying to figure out how he's going to strategize, how he's going to attack, how the Israelites are going are to get past this wall and conquer this city, even though they're not like seasoned warriors. These are not like, these are not warriors. They're wanderers, right? They've been wandering for 40 years. Whatever army that they've been able to build for themselves, you know, they have swords and they might have spears and like, you know, slingshots and stuff like that. But they really are not like trained to like take on a wall like this in a city, fortified city like this. They need equipment. They need like catapults or, you know, like ladders to climb to the top and attack. And they need like, you know, they needed more than what they had. And so Joshua is probably preparing and looking at this city, overwhelmed. He's nervous and he feels like he has the world on his shoulders as he's about to take on and attack this city. Have you ever felt that way before in your life? Have you ever felt like God gave you a calling? God told you to do something, but you just don't know how it's going to come about. You have no idea how you're going to do what God is telling you to do. Have you ever felt that way before? Now, this is probably how Joshua felt as he's standing looking at this wall. You know, they haven't seen walls in 40 years. All they've seen is the wilderness, the desert. They see like little trees here, boulders here, but they've never seen a fortified city like this. The, the, the army that he has behind them is in, is no way capable of defeating a city like this. So he's standing, looking at the city, and saying, how am I going to do this? He's probably a little nervous, probably a little, little uh, overwhelmed. And I, I bet a lot of times we feel this way. I feel this way a lot. I feel like God calls me to do certain things in my life, and I'm like, God, I don't know. I have no idea what I, how I'm supposed to do, do that. Right? There's certain promises that God has given me. And Mina knows them, and a lot of you guys know them. And I feel like there's these huge walls and obstacles blocking the way. And it's just like, I'm sitting there looking at like, God, how am I going to do this? In, in like, what, what tools and what weapons do I have for me to do this? And then all of a sudden, Joshua comes across this man. He's standing before him with a sword drawn in his hand. There's one thing to meet a guy with a sword that's already like, you know those things... It was like sheath, like he has a sword in his belt, and he walks up to him and goes, hey, what's up, how you doing? It's one thing to meet a guy with a sword that's like on his belt. But he says, the Bible says that Joshua meets this guy, and he has a sword drawn in his hand, right? And so literally this guy comes up to him, and he has a sword drawn in his hand, and Joshua comes across this man, and he's thinking like, oh, is this guy an enemy? Is he a Canaanite? Do I have to fight this guy? 
Do I have to fight this guy that's standing in front of me? I don't know what Canaanites really look like. Maybe he is one of the Canaanites, or maybe he's an Israelite that's like doing the same thing I'm doing, has wandered into Jericho to check out the wall. Like maybe he's a friend, right? He's a, are you? So he asks this very logical question, are you for us or are you against us? Are you for us or for our adversaries? Whose side are you on? You know, he doesn't know if he's supposed to fight this guy or shake his hand. Well, give him a fist bump. And then the man standing with the sword drawn gives him a, a, an answer that he was not expecting. He's like, are you for us or are you against us? And he's like, no. Are you a friend or foe? No. He says, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. Now we have to first figure out who the identity of this person is. Based on the information from this passage, there are two possible identities of this mysterious person. Number one, it could be an angel. Right? It could be an angel. Like the angels that would come and talk with, with Joseph and talk with Mary and and talk, all these people, throughout the Bible, it talks about these angels that would appear to men and uh, they give them godly information, right? Or he can be divine or a, a theophany, a visible appearance of God himself. I believe that he is God. I believe that the man that's standing before Joshua is God because of the fact that he tells Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you're standing is holy. The same words that God used as he appeared to Moses in the burning bush, right? Also, Joshua falls on his face and worships him. And I believe that if it was an angel, the angel would tell him, hey, stop worshiping me. I'm not God, right? That's the first thing that the angel would say, except for Satan, right? Except for Satan, everybody else, all the other angels would be like, hey, I'm not God. Please don't worship me. I personally believe that this was God himself that's standing uh, before Joshua I also believe that he was the pre-incarnate Jesus. A lot of theologians believe that uh, the, the, the commander of the Lord's army was the pre-incarnate Jesus. Revelation 19 talks about the glorified Jesus coming back, riding on a white horse with a sword coming out of his mouth. I believe that the sword that he's holding is a sword that's supposed to come out of his mouth when he comes back from the Lord. Look, Jesus has always been. He was there in creation. He has always been. He, he was and is and is to come. Meaning Jesus existed at the beginning of creation. Jesus will exist unto eternity. And he existed every, at every point in human history, Jesus existed. Right? And so th- I believe that this was Jesus before he was born as a little baby in a manger. This is Jesus himself, God, that is standing before Joshua. But whether you believe it's an angel or, or God himself, it's clear that God is communicating to Joshua in this encounter. The words that are being spoken are from the Lord, right? And Joshua asks a very logical and rational question if he's talking to a man, right? If Joshua is talking to a man, the question that he's asked is a very reasonable and logical question. Are you for us or are you for our enemy, right? That's a very logical question. If I come upon, if I'm about to go to war, if I'm in World War II and I'm like, doing the scouting, and this dude comes out with a gun. That's a very logical question for me to ask. Are you, are you with us or are you against us, right? Are you a friend or are you an enemy, right? But when he asks this question to God, it's the wrong question. There's, there's a saying that there are no wrong question. Whoever came up with the saying has never had children. Because Ezra asks me the wrong question all the time, right? 
But this question to God is definitely a wrong question. We can tell by the answer. Are you for us? Are you for our enemies? And his answer is no. A lot of times, we go to God with the wrong question. We ask questions of God that put God in a box. And if he, and as if he only has two choices that he can give us. God, are you going to give me this job or not? God, are you going to make her like me or not? God, are you going to give us this home or not? God, am I gonna, are you going to give us this car or not? God, am I going to pass this test or not? Right? We, give these, we give these questions to God and we put God in a, as a yes or no, like, like, you know, like, like one of those like magic eight balls, right? We, we put him in a box and we, we only give him two like, like answers that he can possibly give us. And Joshua makes this mistake of going to God with man-centered thinking. So many times we think that the world revolves around us. Like this is all just a huge episode of This Is Us. Well, I'm sorry, but it's not about you. It's not all about us, right? It, it's, this is the title of my semester today. It's not about us. It's actually all about God. We are not the center of the story that we are on. He is the center of the storyline. And what God tells Joshua in this interaction is that it's not about Joshua versus the enemy or even the Israelites versus the Canaanites. It's not about them. This story has always been about God versus his enemy. From the beginning, it was all about God. God makes a promise with Abraham. God chooses Abraham. God chooses his people. God uses Joseph to save his people from starvation by bringing them to Egypt. God chooses Moses. God brings them this ten plagues. God parts the Red Sea. God leads his people through the wilderness for 40 years. God sends manna from heaven. God parts the Jordan. God stops the manna. God brings them into their promised land. The enemy is afraid of who? God. So many times we get caught up in our lives and we, th- we think that, like, that, and this happens to us, that we start believing that all of the, the world and, the, and everything that's happening in this universe revolves around us. And we have the audacity to ask God, God, are you on my side? Or not? God, are you on my side? So many times we do this. And God tells us the answer clearly, no. Because it's not about God being on our side, but us being on his side. We approach God so many times by trying to put him in this box. Are you going to give me this thing? Are you going to do this for me? Are you on my side? Or are you on the side of my enemy? And God's answer is no. God is on his side. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. He loves us. He is for us, right? He does love us. And he wants what's best for us. But he wants, what, what, he wants what's best for us based on his understanding. He doesn't want what's our, what's our best for us, but he wants his best for us. Because our best for us is limited. If Ethan had it his way, the best that his best would be like playing Legos every day, watching TV every day, eating candy every day, eating chocolate every day, right? Not going to school, 
right? Just playing at home, watching TV, doing his iPad, playing Angry Bird game. That would be his best for him. We, but as his parents, we know what's best for him. We know that, hey, if you eat chocolate every day, you're going to have brown teeth, right? You're going to have like all like rotted teeth. If you eat chocolate every day, you're going to end up looking like your dad, right? I'm just kidding. If you, if you don't go to school, you're not going to learn anything. If you just play with your toys all day right, and not go outside and get some exercise, right, you're not going to be healthy. So we want... we. It's not that we want to give Ethan the, his best for him. We give him our best for him. Right? And God does the same thing with us. It's not about what we want is best for us. He wants us to have his best for us. And it means that we have to be on his side. He's the captain of his team. He's our Tom Brady. He is the play caller, and we are on his team. He chose us to be on his team. It's not about us with God on our side, but so many times we think that. That's why we have so many divided churches. That's why so many churches in this world that think that they're right and everybody else is wrong. We have churches that be like, oh, those stuffy conservative churches, man, they don't know what they're doing. They're not worshiping God the way that he's supposed to be worshiped. And then those churches are saying, oh, those charismatic charismatic churches, they're all crazy. They all are, 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 you know, like, like they don't know what they're doing. They're all about emotion. And then and they have, we have this division in the church. But we fail to realize that the captain of this army is Jesus. Jesus is the commander of the Lord's army. We are on his side. We have to have that. He chose us to fight for him, he, to fight with him. And to be led by him. But we keep choosing to put God in this box. God, you're gonna, you, this is you. And this is the answers that you're going to give us. Do it this way. We want this. It's like, like the Israelites. Oh, we want a king. They're like, you don't need a king. It's like Ethan. You know, When we do Legos together. When we first started doing Legos together. He'd be like, Man, I want to do it. It's supposed to go like this. And he'd be like, he would like take over. And he'd be like, I want to put this on your... And I'm like, dude, first of all, you're looking at the instructions upside down. And you don't even know how to read, right? It's not fair, actually. You don't need to read to do Legos. You just have to look at the pictures. But he would want to do everything his way. And then he would never... The way that he would want to do it would never end up like the what looks on the box. With me and Mina, me and Ethan, we did this Lego thing last night for Children's Day. Right, this... His grandma got them this huge, like, like Lego Ninjago. It's on my Facebook wall, if you see it. It, took two and a half, it almost took two and a half hours, right? But Ethan had learned that, that to follow the instructions, right? And he knew that I know best, right? So he would tell me, he would say, what should I pick out? And I would say, pick this one. He would pick it out, and he'd give it to me, and i put it on there. It took us two hours to do this. But then what it turned out to be exactly like what it looked on the box. And he would compare it to the box. It's like, oh, yeah, it looks exactly. He would put the little figures in front, exactly like the way it looked in the box. Right? If he did it the way that he wanted to do it, it would look crazy. And it would look like nothing that's on the box. But then God wants what's best for him. He has his designs in mind. And we're supposed to be on his side, fighting for him. We all think that the battle is ours and that God is on our side. 
There's a quote that I found in the, in the Internet. It says, World War II. During World War II, the phrase, God with us, was inscribed on the belt buckles of the German soldiers. That's the way it's been throughout history. Every army wants to claim God is on their side. But that's the wrong claim to make. The question is not whose side is the Lord on, but rather whose side, who is on the Lord's side? Who is in the Lord's army? That's the question that we need to be asking. We are like the people long ago that believed the sun revolved around the earth. They believed that, that they were the center of everything. The moon, the stars, the sun revolved around the earth. And the only way that this could be true is if the sun was the same size as the moon. And they thought that. When we think that God is on our side, we think we make God so much smaller than he actually is. We take the God of the universe, the one that created the earth, not just the earth, but the solar system and the solar system and the galaxy that the solar system is a part of and the supercluster that the, the, our galaxy is a part of and then the millions of superclusters that make up the universe. God created all of this and then we take that God and we tell him, you need to revolve around us. This is me. It's all about me. It's all about my story. Now here's a good Here's the good news from this interaction that Joshua has with this man. This is why this, the day that Joshua met this mysterious man was, was a good day. It's because, it, because it's all about God, because he's the commander of the Lord's army, it means that the battle is his. That's just huge. The battle is his. He isn't standing in front of Joshua just chilling like, hey, what's up, how you doing? What are you doing here, eh? No, he's standing in front of Joshua with his sword drawn, ready to fight. He's ready to fight. He has a sword drawn. He's ready to fight. Joshua didn't happen ha, like he didn't have to have all of the answer. He didn't have to have have all of the right strategies because he knew that God, the battle was the Lord's. This was a huge relief for Joshua. That's so why Joshua falls on his face. He says, Joshua falls on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? He's like, what do you want me to do? I'm following you. Joshua just realized at that moment that the battle wasn't his or even the Israelites, but the battle was the Lord's. He didn't have to figure out how to bring down those walls. He didn't have to figure out how to defeat the Canaanites, what weapons they needed to fight what strategies they needed to win. Because the battle wasn't theirs. The battle was the Lord's. And here's the thing. When God is leading your life, the battle is His. You guys have to know that. It doesn't mean that God's going to spare you from all the discomfort. Right? It doesn't mean that you're going to win every, every... You're going to win, 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 no matter what. You know, like, that's not... That, that's not what God's saying. It doesn't mean that you're, you're not going to need to fight. It doesn't mean that you're not going to need to war. You're all going to have to fight. You guys are going to have to do battle. But the battle is the Lord's. God doesn't want us to win our battles. He wants us to be victorious in His. That's, that's the key here. He doesn't want us to go off and try to fight our own battles. So many times we stress ourselves out with the things that we think are our battles. But God told us long ago 
that you don't have to worry about those things. You don't have to worry about like, oh, what am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? Like, you know, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? God says you don't have to worry. He told us that. And his word is his his word is bond. And he's saying, now focus on me and the victories of my battles. Because I have a plan. God has a plan. He has a purpose. He tells us that he wants us to experience the victories of what he has in store for us and the spoils of his victory. And we can't do that when we are, like, when God, we think that God is on our side. But we have to put ourselves on his side. We're radically different than him being on our side. It's a completely different mindset. It's a completely different thinking to say, to think like, oh, God just isn't for me, but I am on his team. I am on his side. And everything that I do is for his purpose and his will. And at the beginning of chapter 5, the Bible tells us that the enemy was afraid. It says that the hearts of the enemy had melted because of what? Because of the Israelites? Because of the Israelites' fighting techniques? Because all of the amazing weapons that the Israelites had? No, they were afraid of God. They were afraid of the God of the Hebrews. They were terrified of the, the God that freed them from Egypt, the God that parted the Red Sea. Like they, they would hear these stories and their hearts would melt. The God that stopped the Jordan River. But the enemy would tell us, hey, the battle is between you and me. Like Satan will always come up to us and say, man, you know the battle is between you and me. It's about between you and the forces of darkness that, that's on our side. We always have that. The enemy will always come to us with these lies and remove God from the equation and make us feel like we need to fight our own battles. But you have to understand the enemy is terrified of God. And he, it's his battle, not ours. Now, how are we to be on God's side and not focus on our own side? How do we go from the self-centered mindset of it all revolving around us, of it all revolving around me? And we can see... And we can see this in how Joshua responds to the commander of the Lord's army. First thing he does is he surrenders. It says, Joshua fell on his face to the earth. Joshua surrenders to God. He says, what does my servant say? What does my Lord say to his servant? Matthew 16, 24 to 25. Then Jesus said to his disciple, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. In order for us to be living lives where we are on God's side and not the other way around, we have to surrender our lives to God. We need to make Jesus our Lord. We surrender control of our lives to God. We allow the Holy Spirit to lead our lives, to lead the decisions that we make to lead the, the ways that we spend our time, to lead the, the, the people that we hang around with, to lead like how we treat the people around us, to lead the, the ways that we, we, we live our lives, not in these selfish gains of this world, but in humility and in the way that God wants us to live. We can't be all up in our flesh and expect us to, expect to be led by the Holy Spirit. 
because he is Lord. He has to be Lord. You know, he has to be the one that is over us, controlling us, and leading us, and guiding us. The first thing we have to do is we have to surrender our lives. Are you guys living lives of surrender? I know there's times where I'm not. I could, there's times where God clearly will tell me, Caleb, I want you to do this. And what do I tell him? Maybe next time. <laughs> Maybe next time, God. I say that a lot. And God will come back to me. He's a gentleman. Right? God's not going to force me. Holy Spirit is a gentleman. Right? He's not like us. He's not like me. Right? He's not like the way you're like, ah, yeah, yeah. No, Holy Spirit like, hey, I want you to do this, Claire. And if you say no, you'll be like, okay. He doesn't, he doesn't go off like, oh, I don't like you anymore. Right? He's a gentleman. He's like, okay. But then you, you, you answer to the decisions that you make, right? Or the consequences that you make. Where God will come, Holy Spirit will lead me. Like, hey, remember that time with the AC man? Remember? When he'll come and lead me, like, hey, I want you to just let it go. Let it go. Okay, God, I'll let it go. And my flesh just rises up. I can't let it go. Holy Spirit, you know, there's times where we could grieve the Holy Spirit, but he's a gentleman. He's not going to force us. He He doesn't push us into anything. He leads us. He guides us. Only way that we can live the life or being led by the Spirit is if we make Jesus Christ our Lord. That's like that's like the, like the authority of our life is given unto Him. And now, when those decisions come, we we see Him is the Lordship of God that leads and guides us. Like Caleb, I want you to do this. Okay, yes, Lord, I will follow your directions. I will follow your leading. And Joshua, he he surrenders to the Lord. Next thing, to his worship. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped. We live our lives as a worship to God. Romans 12.1. It says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by, mer- by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Worship isn't something that we do only at church. This isn't just worship here. Worship isn't something that, worship isn't just sit, standing up and singing praise song, what we did earlier today. It's not just listening to this sermon right now. This is not worship. It's a part of worship. But worship is so much more than that. True worship starts at the center of who you are in your heart. Remember, God looks at the heart, right? And true worship is a valuing and a treasuring of God above all things. It's believing God and his ways are more valuable and more important than anything else in this world and living your life from that place. Worship is the overflow of a heart that is completely surrendered to God. That's worship. This is when you completely surrender your life to God, everything that flows out of that heart is worship. That's why Paul says in Romans that like everything that you do with your bodies. You can do it as a worship unto the Lord. When I go to McDonald's and I eat a burger, right? That can be a worship unto the Lord. You know, McDonald's is heavenly, yo. I'm just playing. But like I can go and play soccer with my friends. I can go and take care of my kids. I could, I could, I could watch TV with my I could do Legos like yesterday. 
Lego Ninjago, Green Ninja, Dragon Set. I could do that with my kids. And it could be a worship on things because it's not about something that I do, but it is a place of your heart. If you're completely surrendered to the will of the Father in your heart, everything that you do is a worship unto the Lord. And this is what Joshua, he fell onto the ground. He's like, Lord, Lord, what will you have me to do? Because he realizes that he's standing before the Lord. He's standing before God. And he, dro- he drops in true worship. True worship can con- only come from true surrender. There's times where I'll, I'll come to church and, and, and maybe me and Mina would, maybe would have had a fight earlier. Or like, you know, this happened earlier on in our ministry where we would come to church. You could tell we've gotten a fight. We're like, you know, like we've gotten into some kind of argument, right? And there's times where I could tell that something is not right, right with my heart. And no matter how hard I try to worship, it just doesn't come. It's just my feel, my heart just feels like there's this blockage in my heart. I can't worship God. It's because in my heart there's, there's sin. There's something that I've done that's keeping me from being completely surrendered to God. Worship isn't just me sit, standing here leading the guitar or standing in the back raising my head and singing. Right? That's not worship. Everybody, non-Christians can fake that. Atheists can fake that. Really good singer can come up here and lead us in worship, and we can all do a fine job, right? That's not true worship. Worship is a place of true surrender in our hearts for God. When we surrender our hearts to God, everything that flows from that heart is a worship unto the Lord. And lastly, the the third thing that is holiness. Take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy, and Joshua did so. When we surrender to God and we live lives of true worship, we start to reflect God's holiness. When we find ourselves on God's side and we live our lives, surrender to God on his side, God's holiness is reflected in us. Hebrews 12, 14, it says, Without holiness, no one will see God. If you want to see God at work in your life, you want to see God working in, in, the, in the areas of your life, when you go to school, when you go to your work, when you go to, you know, with your family, if you want to see God and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life, you need to walk in holiness. You have to live holy lives. In a nutshell, holiness isn't about doing holy things. It's about being completely and utterly surrendered to the one that redeemed us and brought us into the presence of God. That's, that's where holiness is. And the holiness that we have isn't from us. Because the Bible says no one else is holy except for God. No matter what I do, there's no, there's, I can't produce holiness. Right? I could go and give all that I have to the poor. I could read the Bible eight hours a day. I could sit literally in my closet and pray seven hours a day. Right? That produces not even one ounce of holiness in us. Holiness comes from God. It comes from the holiness, true holiness in our lives is when, when we surrender to God and we allow God to start to work in our lives, our lives reflect the holiness of God. Our, our, our life shines out. The holiness that shines from us isn't our holiness, but it's the holiness of God at work in our lives. Have you met people like that? Have you met people you're like, man, I, they're just holy. I keep bringing John Newfeld up, but he's all, but you know what? John Newfeld isn't holy. It's God in him that's shining through that makes him so holy. I would meet people like Pastor uh, Robert Daniels, right? This old man. He's like, oh, he talks like, 
you know, Caleb, you know, God just wants to lead you into a place of worship, right? And he would, he would just like, he has this gentle way of talking. And I would see him and I was like, man, he's just so holy, right? He's just such a holy man. But you know what? He has produced zero bit of holiness in his life. The holiness that he carries is a reflection of God at work in his life. If you want to be holy, and you need to be holy if you want to see God, you have to allow God to work in your life. You have to allow the Holy Spirit to lead your life, to guide your life, to shape your life. And so we live lives of holiness. Our holiness comes when we allow God to rule and reign in our lives. When we allow God to lead and guide us. Brothers and sisters, when we live like this, the battle is not, the, is not ours, but it's the Lord's. Whatever God is leading us into, we know that the battle is His. And we have the victory in Him. The world does not revolve around us and our needs and our desires and our wants. But it's all about God and His will and His purpose and His army and His battles. We have to make sure that we are on His side. I want to ask you today, are you on God's side? Or do you think that he's on your side? Are you putting God in a box and take him out every time you need him? Are you treating him like that magic eight ball? You're just living your life. All of a sudden, oh, I need God. You take out the magic eight ball and say, God, are you going to give me this or not? Presumably so. I don't know what those things say, right? Or worse, are you on the side of the world? James 4.4 4 says that the, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Are you guys allowing the world to lead you and guide you? Are you allowing the world to make your decisions for you? It's really easy to do that. It's really comfortable to get into the pattern of the world and, and allow the world to say, hey, you know what you need in your life? You need this new car. You know what you need in your life? You need this girl. She's pretty. I know she doesn't believe in God, but it's all good. You can try to convince her later on. You know what you need in your life? You need to live in a house like this. You need to, to, to you know, have a life like this. It's really easy to fall into the patterns of the world. The Bible says being falling into the pattern of the world, you're making yourself an enemy of God. Because the world was completely against the path and the, and the ways of God. Let us be people that are surrendered to God's will and his purpose to be on his side and to share in his victory. I want to share in God's victory. Well, God is for you. And he wants great things for you. But he doesn't want great things that you think you need or you think you desire or you think you want. God has amazing battles and he has amazing victories for us that he has planned and purpose for each and every one of us. It means that we have to be on his side being led and he has to be the Lord of our lives as we surrender our lives to him. Let's all stand up. Let's close the prayer.